from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the new Good Atheist podcast hosted by Jacob14. This is your news report for the first half of November. Mormon Church Sued for Improper Use of Tithing The Mormon Church is in the hot seat again. You may recall that TGA reported on a whistleblower that exposed the church's finance as being primarily about business and investments rather than charity their portfolio being over $100 billion. Keep in mind that the main reason that religions are allowed their tax-free status is the understanding that monies collected are supposed to be for charitable services. As a result, they were fined a paltry $5 million, which represents roughly point zero 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 five percent of their wealth. It would be the equivalent of committing $100,000 of fraud and being fined five bucks. Who wouldn't commit crime with this kind of punishment? Not every Mormon is thrilled that money is being used for purposes other than religious. Three members of the church are suing following the whistleblower report that demonstrated that the church uses the funds for everything but charitable work. The church's corporate arm, the Corporation of the President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, solicits donations for humanitarian relief with promises that all donations are used to help those in need. But those promises are untrue, the latest lawsuit argues. Instead, the church allegedly hid the fact that some, if not all, donations are permanently invested in accounts never used for charitable work. I would be surprised if this leads anywhere. It's notoriously hard to get churches to be held accountable for their scams, and with a hundred billion in the bank, it's not impossible to imagine that quite a few palms will be greased before this is all over. What should happen is fairly obvious. The Mormon church needs to be taxed on properties and investments which do not meet the standard of charitable contributions. In this case, this would mean that a large portion of their coffers would finally be placed under the same scrutiny that any other major financial organization enjoys. However, I can already predict that gutless government agencies will bend over backwards to accommodate these scammers, for fear that they might be accused of being anti-religious, as though that's a bad thing. Anyone expecting justice to be delivered when the guilty are religious organizations are bound to be extremely disappointed. At least, it's nice to know that many of their own members have serious misgivings about continuing to tithe the church. That's a start, at least. Woman targets Jews, mistakenly attacks hate group instead. Conflict often brings out the worst in people. When Palestine attacked Israel by kidnapping and murdering over 1,400 people, the retribution visited upon them has been tenfold, with over 10,000 people already dead. It is not a pleasant equation, 
and undoubtedly countless innocent lives have been lost as two rival ideologies seek to annihilate each other. Israel wants revenge, and Palestine wants to see the destruction of the lonely Jewish state surrounded by Muslim neighbors. The outcome of such hatred and animosity is depressingly predictable. Things are bound to get worse before they get better. The rest of the world has also reacted poorly. From fights in the streets to protesters chanting anti-Semitic rhetoric, it's an unpleasant time for those of us that cherish peace and goodwill towards men. This brings us to the story of one Ruba Almagfeh, a 34-year-old woman who drove her car into what she thought was a Jewish school. It turned out to be a sect of black Israelites, called the Israelite School of Universal and Practical Knowledge. These black supremacists have been identified as a hate group, but Ruba had only seen the Star of David on the building, and that was all she needed to know to ram her vehicle into the structure. The school teaches things like hatred of gays, white people, Jews, and has a generous dash of sexism to boot. The locals, however, are usually more worried about the decibel levels of their protest rather than their hateful message, which seems more silly than terrifying. Some homeowners say that a group accuses whites and gay people of destroying historically black neighborhoods, and at least one resident has complained of being called a cracker, a slave owner, and a white devil. But they reiterate that the volume of the group's message, rather than the message's content, is the real problem. Ruba is being charged as a terrorist, regardless of attacking the wrong group, which no doubt shares some of her twisted ideology. Such a label is bound to only extend the prison sentence she faces. Irony, thy name is religion. A former student of Bogan High School in Chicago was awarded $150,000 after she sued the school, claiming that she was forced to participate in a Hindu meditation ritual. Outraged that she was obliged to go along with a religion that was not her own, this individual, who has no idea what it is like to be an atheist, decided that this egregious act deserved financial compensation, and a dipshit judge agreed. In the lawsuit, Green alleges the Transcendental Meditation Program was held during school hours, and students were required to participate in the initiation ceremony called a puja, an expression of gratitude to the dead founders of the practice. During the puja, the instructors chanted words in Sanskrit containing statements recognizing the power possessed by various Hindu deities and invitations to those same Hindu deities to channel their powers, without telling students what they meant, the suit states. So let me just reiterate this so that you don't choke to death on your own bile. A school-mannered prayer session violated a woman's core beliefs. Who knew that it was possible to get such a windfall from having a foreign religion shoved down your throat? Now, because of how precedence works in the legal system, I am strongly encouraging my fellow atheists in Illinois to use this same case as a springboard for their own forced religiosity. How many school programs have discriminated against non-believers in similar ways? I agree that this mandated prayer session didn't belong in the school, and that this should apply to all religions. 
Of course, for that to occur, Christians would have to stop being a bunch of crybaby hypocrites who think the rules don't apply to them. Fat chance that will ever happen. Church punishes priests that exposed abuse. If you ever believed the Catholic Church's rhetoric that they were working hard to purge abusers from among their ranks, then I have a bunch of magic beans I can sell you. Take the case of a Portuguese priest named Joaquim Nazare, who recently exposed a dozen of his colleagues by reporting them to an independent commission specifically set up to investigate priestly abuse. When his employer found out, they reacted the way you would expect. They punished him for it. You see, the problem was that one of the priests, Nuno Aurelio, had committed his vile acts 19 years ago, which meant that it passed the statutes of limitation, which, I should stress, was the results of churches pushing hard to impose these same limits. As a result, Aurelio claimed that the accusations amounted to slander, which the church agreed. Given that the burden of proof is on the accuser, it is clear that the defendant's statements are defamatory and slanderous, the ruling reached last summer continued. Nazare, who has never appeared before the court, was condemned in two forms. He had to apologize not simply personally to Nuno Aurelio, but publicly through diocesan channels as a form of reparations for the scandals and pay a month's salary out of his pocket. So imagine that your co-worker sexually abuses a child to the point that this person later kills themselves and when you tell a commission specifically created to expose this kind of monstrous behavior you're forced to apologize to the abuser and pay a month of your salary in punishment. I'm sure you would be thrilled. Luckily, Nazare is a badass who refuses to back down. He's been removed from any position of authority as punishment. His career prospects are now dead, but in my opinion, it's better for him this way. Who wants to work for such a corrupt organization anyways? He's obviously too good for them. Keep in mind that not a single priest has actually faced any justice as a result of this investigation, which found that over 5,000 people had been abused since 1950. That's the equivalent of one kid getting raped every week with a little change left over. Hit-and-run pastors seeks leniency. There's no denying that cars are dangerous. In the United States alone, vehicles account for roughly 40,000 deaths a year, with the numbers increasing year on year. The problem is particularly bad in states like Florida, Mississippi, and South Carolina, which have twice the average road fatalities when compared to other states. One place that tends to have much lower averages is Washington, D.C. Perhaps people tend to drive more conservatively there. I'm not sure. Still, it doesn't mean that some people don't drive recklessly. On October 4th, Reverend Samuel Holloway drove his car dangerously close to a small family, pinning a six-year-old boy's foot under the SUV's tires after he accelerated past a crosswalk that they were using. Following the frightening incident, it appeared that the man was pulling his vehicle over when instructed by a witness, but instead he quickly fled the scene. Unaware that this incident had been caught on camera, 
when Holloway finally turned himself in, after two weeks of being in what he called a mental fog, it also turned out he had a suspended license. Now, rather than getting jail time, his attorney has requested leniency, claiming that there were extenuating circumstances that led him to both hit the family and drive away. Holloway's motion goes on to say that at the time of the incident, he had not eaten or taken his blood pressure medication. The document states that a stressful day, high blood pressure, and mental confusion following the crash all contributed to Holloway's uncharacteristic, unacceptable, and unreasonable flight response. Holloway is trying to use his status in the community to skirt responsibility in jail. It's unsurprising. Instead of taking responsibility for his actions, he wants instead to be given a slap on the wrist. He's likely to get his wish, as American judges tend to have massive blinders when it comes to the priestly class. While there hasn't been an official decision yet, I'm willing to bet that he walks away scot-free. It's the great advantage that pious people can still boast. All they need to do is look sad, say they love Jesus, and the rest is forgiven. No wonder they love their religion so much. It's a goddamn get-out-of-jail-free card. Judge dismisses child abuse lawsuit due to privilege. If I was a criminal organization, I would definitely cloak myself with the veneer of religion. Regardless of your egregious actions, if you're associated with a recognized faith, there is no serious crime you can't get away with. Take a recent example in Arizona, where a judge has dismissed a lawsuit against the Mormon Church on the grounds that spiritual confessions are a sacred right regardless of what crimes are being confessed to. This means that any church official who fails to report serious and ongoing abuses are immune from any responsibility. How outrageous is the crime in question? How about a father who perpetually raped his daughter, confessed to it, and the church did nothing to stop it? When a young girl was being habitually abused by her father, his confessions to his pastor did not warrant the church to communicate with authorities to put a stop to it. He was able to continue to abuse his poor daughter for another six years and had even begun to turn his attention to her six-week-old baby sister. The church decided to excommunicate the man instead of calling the police and wash their hands of it. Since the man, if he can be considered one, had confessed to his monstrous actions in the presence of of another man trained in the art of make-believe, when the girl finally grew up and tried to sue the church for doing nothing to stop her sexual torture, an Arizona judge made sure that the one being protected was the mega-powerful Mormon church. In a ruling on Friday, Cochise County Superior Court Judge Timothy Dickerson said the state's clergy penitent privileged excused two bishops and several other officials within the church from the state's child abuse mandatory reporting law because Paul Adams initially disclosed during a confession that he was sexually abusing his daughter. 
Church defendants were not required under the mandatory reporting statute to report the abuse of Jane Doe 1 by her father because their knowledge of the abuse came from confidential communications which fall within the clergy penitent exception, Dickerson wrote in his decision. Let me remind you that this type of immunity is unique to religion alone. The closest analog we have to this privilege would be that of a lawyer who is allowed to know about your crimes without having to reveal details of it to the authorities. It is not without limitation, however. If there is a possibility of the furtherance of a crime, then the lawyer has a legal, not to mention moral, obligation to notify the police of your future plans. No such limitation exists when it comes to religious confession. The major problem with this kind of immunity isn't only that it allows criminals to continue to act with impunity. It's far more sinister than that. Confession is also a way for these monsters to be absolved of their crimes morally. Faiths like Mormonism may claim that believers are bound by an objective morality, but in practical terms, churches have always found ways to involve themselves in the absolving of immorality, if not primarily because it has such a good financial return. It was indulgences that paid for St. Peter's Basilica, and the monetary benefits of offering salvation that has the full power of secular law on your side, with legal protections of such magnitude, continues to fill coffers and put asses in seats. There is no end to my disgust when it comes to the privileges afforded to religions, especially when we know for a fact that they are so undeserving of them. There are few organizations in the world that should have less protection than the major religions, who fought for years to protect rapists that live among their ranks. Remove their fancy vestments or shave their overgrown beards, and you would see them for what they are, a bunch of gangsters, rapists, and embezzlers that would be right at home in a place that has bars for windows. Richland Pastor Convicted of Sexual Abuse In yet another case of religious leaders using their position to perpetuate abuse, a jury of his peers in Richland, Mississippi, found Samuel Lamar Taylor guilty of sexual battery and the antique-sounding gratification of lust. The state doesn't like the word molestation, apparently. The victim was an 11-year-old child that this monster was the legal guardian for. When the boy approached a counselor at his school, to their credit, the school quickly called the police. They acted quickly to arrest Taylor and have the child removed from his custody. Had this happened a few decades ago, I'm sure nothing would have become of it. Keep in mind that people were always reluctant to believe children over adults, especially when these people cloak themselves in religious garb. Luckily, we now know better. It's impossible to know just how many victims he raped, as at least one person has also come forward saying they were sexually abused as far back as 1990, when Taylor was working as a YMCA counselor. The good news is that this vile sack of crap will be spending the rest of his life in jail without the possibility of parole. He's also in for a bad time in prison. Typically, child rapists are considered the lowest form of life behind bars, 
and it's not uncommon for these people to be regularly beaten, terrorized, or sometimes even outright killed. While I'm not usually a fan of vigilante justice, I won't be losing any sleep over this guy. I doubt anyone will either. House Speaker thinks separation of church and state is a misnomer. As faith is slowly dying across the Western world, it's put a fire under the feet of religious political figures who see themselves as martyrs in a great cause. As religious affiliation continues to decline, the dying animal of organized religion refuses to simply crawl into a corner and die. Instead, it seeks to consolidate its worldly powers in the vain hope that by forcing their faith on people, it might get a glorious comeback. This explains why so many U.S. politicians are doubling down on faith. Take, for example, House Speaker Mike Johnson. Possessing the personality of a busted robot, he can't stop acting as though the secular nature of government is a minor inconvenience that no one understands but him. Separation of church and state is a misnomer. People misunderstand it, Johnson said on CNBC's Squawk Box when asked about him praying on the House floor. Of course, it comes from a phrase that was in a letter that Jefferson wrote is not in the Constitution. And what he was explaining is that they did not want the government to encroach upon the church, not that they didn't want principles of faith to have influence on public life. It's exactly the opposite, the speaker added. This might be true if you ignore the very first phrase in the Constitution, which makes it abundantly clear that religion is not invited to the party when it comes to creating policy. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. It's important to understand the context of why the no law respecting an establishment of religion was added in the first place. This is because when it came to the separation of powers, the inspiration for the document had come from European Enlightenment thinkers, such as David Hume and John Locke, who knew full well that the encroachment of religion could spell disaster for any government. Europe's nations had been entangled for over 200 years in the great wars of religion, and hard lessons of the involvement of religion in political affairs had been well documented. If America wished to avoid such entanglements, it had to take an official stand on how much place religion would have in politics. The decision was simple. There should be none. Of course, what non-thinkers like Mike Johnson who seemed to value piety over service to his fellow American, fails to understand that the wall of separation that Jefferson wrote about in his letters was to reassure a small congregation of Virginia Baptists who were weary of the abuse they had suffered in their hands of their fellow Christians. They too had faced adversity in Europe and had no wish to further the conflict in their new home. Jefferson reassured them, as he did the rest of the nation, in guaranteeing that the propensity of religion to take the reins of power would have no effect there. It was this decision that allowed America's various religious traditions to flourish. Unlike Germany or England that had official faiths, Americans were free to experiment with religions to their heart's content. This is why so many different branches of Christianity have flourished, a fact that morons like Johnson are completely ignorant of. 
These deluded fools think that all forms of Christianity are compatible, despite the hundreds of years of conflict that punctuate their existence. Is it not enough that these organizations pay no taxes, benefits from laws that protect them even from police prosecutions, and have such a vaulted place in society? Already pastors preach politics from their pulpits, a clear violation of the rules that allow them tax-exempt status to begin with. Now they want the whole enchilada. If you want a bit of good news in all of this, it's that the message of Johnson and his ilk is becoming less and less effective. Sure, their base is usually fired up by this rhetoric, but the rest of the nation remains unimpressed. It's why Republicans across the country are getting slaughtered in the polls. It turns out that when you double down on religion, the voters that have no great affiliation with any political party quickly jump ship. Here's hoping that this reality check hits these troglodytes where it hurts, in the polls. Atheist Wins Religious Coercion Lawsuit Imagine you go to prison, and when it's time for your parole, you get denied because the only way to get accepted into the program is to take a bullshit religious 12-step. Would you fight it? or out of desperation to get out, just go along with it. That was the dilemma that Andrew Miller faced. I think most of us, with the prospect of freedom on the line, would have just suffered through it and pretended, like most people, that these types of programs worked. Credit where credit is due, he chose to stick to his conviction, and even took the matter to a federal court to make sure that no one else like him would need to do the same. American Atheists, in cooperation with Mountain State Justice, an organization designed to help lower-income Western Virginians that need legal assistance, won a judgment on behalf of Miller, which included the removal of the requirement for this 12-step program and 80000 to cover the legal fees. Now, because of their good work, other criminals who seek to reform themselves won't have to do so under the guise of religion. Now, is it our fault that atheists make up a tiny proportion of the prison population? At least now you can rest easy knowing that if you commit a crime in West Virginia, your freedom won't be contingent on some pastor's bullshit 12-step program. We celebrate the small victories, people. Pennsylvania Satanic Temple gets it done. I've often said that the only way to fight the encroachment of Christianity in public school is to use their own tactics against them. If you recall a story I covered a few weeks ago about a group called LifeWise Academy operating in Ohio, you might remember that these guys regularly bust kids out during school hours to indoctrinate them. I said they were a walking lawsuit, and if the recent ruling from Pennsylvania is any indication... It's only a matter of time before it happens. When the Satanic Temple was wrongfully prevented from engaging in after-school activities with students in Pennsylvania, they sued the school district, arguing that if Christian organizations were allowed to hold events, they should be as well. A judge agreed, and it cost the Susan Valley Middle School $200,000. Thanks to the court's order, we were able to hold ASSC meetings at the Sosa Valley Middle School, and the kids who attended were overjoyed. 
It's for them that we took on this legal fight in the first place, and we won't hesitate to do so again if other school districts continue to enact discriminatory policies. This is only the beginning. Other school districts who employ these sneaky religious tactics are about to get their asses kicked. Once you open the floodgates for religious indoctrination, then it shouldn't be surprising when ideologies they are uncomfortable with begin to try and influence their children. We all know the Satanic Temple is a harmless organization that uses the name as shock value, and it works. Christian parents were outraged. A small taste of what it's like for non-believers when their kids are targeted with their nonsense. If other schools want to avoid this kind of expensive lesson, then they have a choice. Stop all these types of curriculum, and if parents wish to brainwash their kids with the idea of God, let them do it on their own dime and in their own spare time. The rest of us want kids to learn real stuff in school, not make-believe bullshit. Score one for the good guys. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that's this week's news. Have a good atheist day, everybody.